Well, good morning and happy Sabbath. It's so good to see you today. Last night, I couldn't see any of you. For those of you who weren't here last night, we had no power and no lights, but I believe the Lord was with us, amen? Amen. And I'm looking forward to sharing with you again this morning. And um, before I do that, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of being here on your holy Sabbath day in such a beautiful location. And I pray that as we study your word this morning, that we would come to a realization of what your purpose is for us as a people. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night, we spoke about the midnight cry and the loud cry. And you know, the one quote that I read that challenges me so much is the quote from Great Controversy, page 464, where Ellen White tells us, before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth, there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. And it's clear we have not yet seen that. We have not yet seen that revival of primitive godliness since the days of the apostles. Can you imagine being alive to see the power that the apostles had? And you know, Ellen White says that the latter rain will be ten times more powerful than the early rain that the apostles had? Can you imagine the power that's going to hit Trinidad when that falls? And I believe that we are very close to that being poured out. And what we're going to study today from the Bible is, why is it that we have not seen in the Seventh-day Adventist church that revival of primitive godliness? And the answer to the question is found in the message to the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3. What we are going to do this morning in the next hour is a study of the Laodicean message from the Bible. Now, how many of you, by showing of your hands, how many of you have studied the Laodicean message? Okay, a fair number of you. What I'm going to share with you today is something that was new to me in my study recently. I have never heard this before, and I'm looking forward to sharing this. Now, I'm going to start with a quote that is probably familiar to most Seventh-day Adventists. This is found in Early Writings, page 270. Here Ellen White says, I asked the meaning of the shaking I had seen and was shown that it would be caused by the straight testimony called forth by the counsel of the true witness to the Laodiceans. You know, we talk about the shaking that's going to come to the church. We talk about the straight testimony that needs to be given. And when we read this quote from Ellen White, what we see is that the straight testimony comes from the message to the Laodicean church in Revelation 3. So if we want to know what the straight testimony is that will cause the shaking, 
we need to study Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, because that is where the message to Laodicea is. Continuing on, she says, This will have its effect upon the heart of the receiver and will lead him to exalt the standard and pour forth the straight truth. So as we study this message in Revelation 3, as we come to understand it, we will give it in its straight form. Now notice what happens. Some will not bear this straight testimony. They will rise up against it, and this is what will cause a shaking among God's people. So here's what happens. Christ is the true witness that comes and he gives this message, a straight message, a straight testimony to his last day people. Some receive it and some reject it. And this will lead to a shaking in the church. And I am choosing to speak about this message today because I believe that it is time for us to hear this straight message in the preparation for the coming of Jesus. It's time to see that revival of primitive godliness that has not been witnessed since apostolic times. We need to hear that message which will prepare us for the coming of the Lord. If we want to see the experience that the Millerites had to a greater degree in our lifetime, we need to hear this message, accept it, and bring it into our lives so that God can use us. And so... She finishes this statement by saying, I saw that the testimony of the true witness has not been half-heeded. The solemn testimony upon which the destiny of the church hangs has been lightly esteemed, if not entirely disregarded. Do you realize what she's saying? Seventh-day Adventists have lightly esteemed or almost entirely disregarded this straight message to the church. But there is coming a time when we are going to have to choose which side we stand on. The message is going to come and we won't be able to play like, well, I'm not sure if I understand what that message means. We won't be able to, to disregard it anymore, to ignore it anymore. That message is coming and it's going to have a shaking in the church. And we want to be among those who have a work of repentance and response to that message. Amen. She says, all who truly receive it will obey it and be purified. I want to be purified by the grace of God. Amen. So let us study this straight testimony to the Laodicean church. What is it about this message that is such a straight testimony that will cause a shaking in the church? Why is it? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Starting in verse 14. And this is the Laodicean message. Verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now here we see at the very beginning of verse 14, this message is given by the faithful and true witness. And if you look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, it says, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. So Jesus Christ himself is the faithful and true witness giving a message to Laodicea describing our condition as a people. 
And you know, Jesus Christ is God. Hebrews 6 says it's impossible for God to lie. So that means when Jesus Christ speaks to the Laodicean church, he is giving a true testimony of our condition. He's not lying. We may not want to believe it, but he's not lying. He is God. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So, what does he say? Well, let's notice one other thing about his title. It says he is the beginning of the creation of God. Do you know what that's saying? That's saying that God is creator. Specifically that Jesus, who is God, is creator. Now, what is interesting about this? This is the message to the Laodiceans. And do you know what the word Laodicea means? Laodicea, many people believe, means lukewarm. But it actually means a judged people. Which means that Laodicea is the church of the judgment hour. And Jesus is giving us a faithful message of our true condition in the judgment hour. And one of the things he reminds us as, as of, about him is that he is creator in the judgment hour, which reminds us of the first angel's message, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him who made heaven, earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. So right at the beginning of the message to Laodicea is the first angel's message. This is the judgment hour. God is creator, and I am going to give you a message that describes your condition in the judgment hour. Now, is it any wonder, and I don't think this is a problem here in Trinidad, and I praise the Lord for this, but back in the United States where I'm from, and Brother Fitzroy referred to this, there are people that are saying we can accept the theory of evolution and still be Seventh-day Adventists. And God is saying to the Laodicean church at the very beginning, I am creator. Remember that in the judgment hour. There is no way you will be prepared to stand in the judgment if you don't understand God as creator. Now, what does Jesus say to us about our condition? Because what he says is the straight testimony that some will accept and some will reject. Notice what verse 15 says. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would you were cold or hot. Now we've heard this, I've heard this my whole life. Yeah, we're, we're not hot, we're not cold. We need to get more on fire for God. How many of you have heard that? Okay. So far, pretty straightforward. And then notice what he says. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. And you know what the word spew means? It means vomit. That means that the condition of God's judgment hour people is nauseating to God. Have mercy on us. We as a people, our condition is nauseating to God. Lord, have mercy on us. May we heed what he's going to say next. Why is it that not being too hot, not being on fire for God, not being ice cold, 
just kind of being in the middle, why is that so nauseating to God? And you know, the one thing I failed to mention, Laodicea being the judge, people being the church of the judgment hour, you realize that the church of the judgment hour of Laodicea began in history on October 22, 1844. Amen? So this describes the condition of God's people since 1844. Why is it that being not hot or not cold is so nauseating to God? Well, notice what leads God's professed judgment, our people, the Seventh-day Adventist people, to have a condition of being lukewarm. Verse 17, they say, Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Now, do you think Jesus is really saying to Laodicea, you know, all of you people think that you're just a bunch of millionaires and you don't need anything else and you can just show up to church and you have so much money that you don't have to worry about anything else. I mean, it's possible that there's a few people that have that experience, but I mean, I dare say none of us are millionaires in this room. I'm not. So, could it be that God is speaking about something different than material riches. And the Laodicea is saying, I am rich. I don't need anything. I have it all. I'm ready for Jesus to come. Let's look at what the Bible says about being rich or being poor. Notice what James chapter 2, verse 5 says. James chapter 2, verse 5 says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Notice the description of those who are rich. What are they rich in? They are rich in faith. Now, let me take you to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So in 1 Peter 1 and in James chapter 2, we see that those who are rich have faith. And faith is described as if if it is gold being tried in the fire. And gold is a description of those who have riches. So what does Laodicea think about itself? Laodicea thinks that it is rich and it needs nothing. So Laodicea believes that it has faith. Laodicea, or the Seventh-day Adventist Church believes that it has saving faith. Laodicea believes that it has righteousness by faith. And Jesus says, your mentality about the kind of faith you think you have, the kind of righteousness by faith that you believe you have that is going to save you for the kingdom of heaven has led you to not be hot, to not be cold, and it's making me nauseated about your condition. Which means, clearly, that Laodicea does not have righteousness by faith. 
Why is that? Well, Jesus says why in the last half of verse 17. He says, you say that you think you're rich, you have need of nothing. If you have, and, and seriously, if you have righteousness by faith, and you know you have righteousness by faith, then you know you have salvation and you don't need anything else. You're good. We're fine. We're saved. It's okay. We have God's righteousness covering us. But Jesus says, you don't know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And this is where I believe that the straight testimony to the Laodicean church comes into play. Because Laodiceans believe we have righteousness by faith. We are saved. We are going to heaven. And Jesus says, no, you're actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. If you are naked, it means you do not have the covering of Christ's righteousness, which means that you are not saved. And Laodicea says, no, don't tell me that I'm not saved. I know that I'm saved. I like the experience that I have. I don't need anything else. Don't tell me that. And Jesus says, no, you need to hear a faithful and true testimony of your condition because I am not lying. I love you too much to let you stay this way. And if you think about it, the Laodicean message is a message of mercy because God does not want us to be lost. Now, let us look at some of these terms, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We're just going to take a look at probably three. The word here, wretched, comes from the Greek word, talahiporos. Do you know that there's only one other place in the Bible that this word is found? Do you know where it's found? It's found in Romans chapter 7. Do you know what Romans chapter 7 is talking about? Let's go there. Romans chapter 7. I believe that Romans 7 is one of the most misunderstood chapters in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, what is Romans 7 talking about? In Romans chapter 7, in verse 24, we read, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And it's the same word in English and in Greek. It's the Greek word talahiprost. It's the same English word wretched. Only two places in scripture. Romans 7.24, Revelation 3.17. That tells us something. Jesus is saying to Laodicea, you are like the man of Romans 7. And you know what Laodicea says? Praise the Lord. Well, who is the man of Romans 7? In Romans 7... In the first four verses, Paul describes the, the, the law of marriage. And I'm not going to break down all of the technical aspects here. But the bottom line is, the law of marriage states that when a woman marries a man, according to the law of marriage, she is bound by the law to stay married to him as long as he is alive. The only exception to that is if he dies. 
If he dies, she can be loosed from the law of marriage to her husband that she was married to, to marry another man. Now, in verse 4 of Romans 7, Paul says, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Here's the point. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Here's our problem. We are married to the old man of sin. That is the way we are born. We are born with fallen human natures, and inevitably we choose to marry the old man of sin, and so the old man of sin controls our life. We are married to him, spiritually speaking. And according to the law of marriage, Paul is saying, look, you should be married to Christ. But he will not marry you if the old man is not crucified. We must be crucified with Christ so that our old man will die so that we can be married to Christ. Now, in Romans 6 and 7, there is this concept of being servants to sin or servants to righteousness. And the word for servants is actually slaves. So here's your option. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And if you are a slave to sin, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. If you're a slave to righteousness, you actually get a free gift of eternal life. This helps us then to understand the man of Romans 7. This takes us to Romans 7.14. Notice what Romans 7 verse 14 says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now what happens if you are sold under something? What does that describe? That describes slavery. So if you are carnal, you are sold under sin or a slave to sin. Now, what happens to slaves? Slaves do what their master tells them. So a slave will do things they don't want to do, and they won't do the things they want to do, because their slave master guides how they live their lives. So notice what Paul says, Romans seven fourteen. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Verse 15 shows what it means to be when you are a slave to sin. You do the things you don't want to do. You don't do the things you want to do. Because sin is your slave master. The old man of sin has not been crucified. Therefore, he controls your life because Christ is not in charge. You are a slave to sin. And that's what it means to be carnal, sold under sin. And so then you continue on. Verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. So... A carnal man wants to do what's right, but he doesn't have the power to do so. 
because the old man of sin controls his life. And then he says in verse 20, Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. What he is saying there is sin does within me what I don't want to do because sin is my slave master. Do you see what Paul's saying here? Is that clear? So what Romans 7 is describing is describing the experience of someone who knows what Christianity is all about. In fact, verse 22 says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He knows what is right, but sin is still his slave master, so he does the things he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do the things that he wants to do. And so you come to the end of Romans 7, and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm a slave to sin. Sin controls my life. I don't want to do the things that I do. And I don't get to do the things I want to do. I am wretched. I am sold under sin. Now, the man of Romans 7 knows that he has a problem. He knows that he is wretched. But you know, Laodicea has a big problem. Because Laodicea thinks that they have righteousness by faith. And in fact, even within our church today throughout the world, it has become a very popular teaching to say, Romans 7 describes our born-again experience on our way to heaven. We've accepted Christ as our Savior. We delight after the law of God, but we still sin. That's just the way it is. We do the things we don't want to do. We don't do the things we want to do. But praise the Lord. He saved us and covered us with his righteousness. We have righteousness by faith. And we don't need anything else. We are saved by the grace and mercy of God. And it doesn't matter that we keep falling into sin. And God is saying that kind of condition is nauseating to me. Because you are naked without my righteousness. Because you think you have righteousness by faith, but in reality, you have nothing. You are naked. You lack the righteousness of Christ. And this is a big problem. If we are going to be ready for Jesus to come in the clouds, we cannot have the experience of Romans 7. Romans 7 describes the experience of people who know what is right, but they're still married to the old man of sin, meaning that they have not let Christ come into their lives to be the master of our lives. And so therefore, the master of sin controls us. And Romans tells us if we let that happen, the wages of sin is death. And when we get to Romans 8, it says the carnal mind is enmity against God. And it's death. So Jesus is giving a straight message to his last day, judgment hour people. And he says, you think you have righteousness by faith. You think that the experience of Romans 7 is great. That it's your born again experience on the way to heaven. And that you're covered with righteousness even while you're sinning. And Jesus says, no. This is wrong. You are wretched. And notice the other word he says. He says, you are miserable. Do you know this word miserable is found in only one other place in scripture as well? 
and it's found in 1 Corinthians 15. And 1 Corinthians was written by Paul, who's the same author of Romans. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. This is kind of hard to take, but this is Jesus telling us our true condition. Notice what, Jesus, or notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. He says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now, why did Jesus use the same word in Revelation 3 to describe Laodicea? Do you know what Jesus is saying to Laodicea? You think you have righteousness by faith. You think you don't need anything else. So you think that you're going to heaven. But you know what? You're actually miserable because you have the experience of having hope in this life of Christ, believing that you have his righteousness on your way to heaven, when in reality, you don't. So the only life that you're going to have hope in Christ is this life, because if you stay in the condition that's nauseating to me, you will not have eternal life. That is why this message will cause a shaking among God's people. Because I, will, I can guarantee you that there are people who will hear this message and say, there is no way that I am giving up my assurance in having an experience where I'm covered with Christ's righteousness while I keep sinning. That experience is too good to give up. And I'm not going to believe what anybody tells me that I need a different experience than that. I'm going to hang on to this experience. But you know, those who heed the counsel of Christ, who gives this straight message, will say, you know what? Lord, forgive me. I've been sinning and sinning and sinning and just got to the point where it said, it's okay. Jesus covers me anyway, so I have hope in Christ and I'll be going to heaven. And when I get to heaven, then I'll change. And Jesus is saying, I love you too much. I am your high priest, your advocate, your judge in heaven. And I want you to be ready to stand in the judgment. And your condition right now to me is nauseating. I can't stand it. And I love you and I want you to change. Please change. Please don't stay with that experience of Romans 7 where you're carnal, sold under sin, a slave to sin. I don't want you to be deceived so that you think you're going to heaven when you're really not. And how often do we hear this kind of a message in our churches today? We need to hear that. Our people, we as a people, need to be challenged to wake up to how soon Jesus is coming and how unready we are to meet him. And I'm speaking to myself. I mean, if we are going to see the revival of primitive godliness such as not been witnessed since apostolic times, we've got to wake up out of our Laodicean stupor where we keep sinning and sinning and sinning and thinking that we're covered with the righteousness of Christ when in reality Jesus is saying you are dead in trespasses and sins and completely naked, not ready for the coming of Christ. And if we wonder why it's been so long 
since 1844 and the beginning of the judgment when the Laodicean church began in history. It's because we have become complacent in thinking it's okay. We can just keep sinning. Christ covers us with his righteousness. And he is saying, no, you are a judgment hour people that need to have true righteousness. Now, what we've talked about so far is the problem. And I will just mention in passing the other terms. He says that we are poor, which we read from first, or James chapter 2 and 1 Peter 1, that those who are rich have faith. So Jesus is clearly saying, you're wretched, you have the experience of Romans 7. You're miserable, you think you're going to heaven, but you're really not in the condition you're in. You're poor, you don't have faith. You're blind, you don't see the way you really are, and you're naked. If you, were, if you were not blind, you would see, hey, we're naked. And there's nothing more revealing and more revolting to, than to be exposed as being naked. And do you realize that is what we are in the sight of God? And yet God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay this way. Now I realize that what I've said so far, it's pretty straight. It's pretty challenging. And most of us here need to come up higher. In fact, I would say all of us here need to come up higher. I need to come up higher. I'm not preaching down to you. I'm preaching to myself. I've had the experience of Romans 7 too many times. We need to come up higher. And the Lord can give us that victory. What is the remedy that Christ gives to us? He says, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Notice what Jesus is saying. Buy of me gold tried in the fire. And remember what we read in 1 Peter 1 verse 7 where, first, where Peter says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire. So how do we get gold tried in the fire? We allow God to pass us through the trials of this life so that we will learn to trust in him. And as just as gold passes through fire so that the impurities are removed, as we pass through the trials of, of life, our faith will be purified and sin will be removed from our lives. Amen? So the Lord, in his mercy, counsels us, counsels us to buy of gold tried in the fire so that we will be rich in faith. And he tells us to buy white raiment so that we will be clothed. And I want to take you to Zechariah chapter 3, which describes how we receive this white raiment. Zechariah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And it says, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Continuing in verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. So here is someone represented as being God's people standing before God and he's clothed with filthy garments. Notice what verse 4 says. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him saying, 
take away the filthy garments from him. And then it talks about how we will be clothed with change of raiment. Here's the key. Too many of us want God to clothe us with the garment of his perfect righteousness while we leave our filthy clothes on. And Jesus is saying, no, I will clothe you with my raiment. That's my message to you as my people. But before I do that, we're going to take the filthy garments off of you. We're going to remove sin from your life. You know, Jesus didn't come to save us in our sins. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And Laodicea needs to be saved from our sins. We need to have the filthy garments removed. So this is what we see Jesus telling us. We need to get faith purified with the trials of of fire that will purify our faith and remove sin from our lives. We need his righteousness and to have our sinful, filthy rags removed so that we can have his righteousness. And we need to be anointed with eyesalve so that we can see. Now notice verse 19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Did you realize that Jesus tells us all of this because he loves us? Now, those of you who are parents, I'm not yet. I will be in about six months. Those of you who are parents, what happens if your child starts running into the middle of the road and a car is coming on, is the loving thing to do to be nice and say, I love you. You're great. And they're about to get run over by a truck and flattened and killed. Is the loving thing to do to say, stay right where you are, you're good? Absolutely not. And Jesus loves us so much. He doesn't want us to die. He doesn't want us to be lost. We are his judgment, our people. And we are in a terrible condition. We are supposed to be God's last day people, proclaiming the three angels' messages to a lost and dying world, pointing them to the everlasting gospel that Jesus saves us from our sins, not in our sins. And yet we are telling the world, it's okay. You can be saved in your sins and covered with the righteousness of Christ. And that is not the everlasting gospel. That is not good news. The good news is, is that we can be changed. And so Jesus, who loves us so much, he rebukes and chastens. And he says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. You know, this kind of a message will bring a shaking to the church. Now, we are to be loving as we give this message. We don't want to be of the spirit of the devil as we call sin by its right name, no. We want to have the spirit of love and of Christ as we share this message that we as a people need to wake up. But even when we do it in the most loving way possible, this will bring a shaking to the church. Because people will not want to give up 
an assurance of salvation that tells them, I'm saved in my sins. I'm covered with his righteousness. Praise the Lord. I don't need anything else. I'm on my way to heaven. And then all of a sudden, this straight message comes to the church and you're jolted out of your seat and you're like, oh no, I've been living my whole life in a lost condition. And Jesus is trying to wake us up and saying, wake up, be zealous, repent. I love you. I want you to get my righteousness by faith. Now, notice what happens. I'm going to go back to this quote from early writings. Ellen White describes what happens after this message is given. She says, I heard those clothed with the armor speak forth the truth with great power. It had effect. Many had been bound some wives by their husband, husbands and some children by their parents. The honest who had been prevented from hearing the truth now eagerly laid hold upon it. And there may be some of you here today who have never heard this before. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you're saying, I want to have a true righteous experience by faith. Lord, help me. I want this. And you are eagerly laying hold upon the message of salvation. Notice what happens. All fear of their relatives were gone, and the truth alone was exalted to them. They had been hungering and thirsting for truth. It was dearer and more precious than life. Now notice this. This is key. I asked what had made this great change. An angel answered, It is the latter rain. The refreshing from the presence of the Lord. The loud cry of the third angel. Do you realize that within the message to Laodicea is the loud cry of the third angel? Now, there may be, most of you here probably won't understand this, but there's some foolishness going on back in the United States where people are saying that the loud cry began when terrorists flew planes into buildings on 9-11, and that's the loud cry message, and understanding that Islam is the sealing message for our time, that has nothing to do with the loud cry. The loud cry is all about understanding righteousness by faith and giving it with power and authority to a lost and dying world so that people will truly have the righteousness of Christ within and without. The latter reign and the loud cry is all about righteousness by faith. And in 1888, the Lord sent messengers to this church who gave the loud cry message of righteousness by faith. And do you know what their message of righteousness by faith was that they gave? It wasn't, Christ covers you, keep sinning, you're covered. That was not the gospel they taught. You know what the gospel they taught was? The gospel they taught was, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ comes into your life. He comes into your heart. He changes you from within. You see Him as your Savior on the cross. He died for you as if you were the only person in the whole world. He knows your true condition of being wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And because He loves you so much, He died for you on the cross so that He could change your life. He gives you forgiveness for your past. He gives you transforming power for the present and the future. And He comes into your life. And we as His people are living representatives of Him to the world. That is the third angel's message that will be the loud cry that will usher in the second coming of Christ. And that is 
the message, the straight testimony, and the shaking that will cause the shaking in the church and that will cause the loud cry to go forward. And if we want to have the experience of the Millerites who had the experience of living in the midnight cry and of Ellen White saying that they had a movement that was more free of human imperfection since the days of the apostles, and yet we're going to have an experience that exceeds that, if we're going to have that experience, we need to stop having the experience of Romans 7. We need to stop justifying sin and saying, it's okay, God loves me so much that He'll save me this way. You know what? God loves you so much that He has made it clear to the Laodicean church He will not save you that way. And He wants to save each one of us. Now notice, he's told us this is what you need to do to get out of this condition. You need righteousness by faith. Remove your filthy garments. Get eyes out so that you can see. Be zealous and repent. And did you realize, and you know, I, I've only been here in Trinidad for five months, so a lot of what I talk about is things that I've seen back in the United States. But do you realize that within our church throughout the world, one of the greatest lacks when it comes to righteousness by faith and the preaching of it is the element of repentance. Repentance is almost missing from all of our messages when it comes to righteousness by faith. Because what we teach is you'll be covered by God's righteousness because of His grace. You'll keep sinning. It's okay. God loves you. But true righteousness by faith leads to repentance, which means you turn away from your life of sin. You don't stay the way you were. And Jesus says, be zealous and repent. And to be zealous means to give everything you have in your life to turning away from your life of sin by the grace and power of God. Now notice then that here's the key, the crux of the message to Laodicea. It's found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now we've heard this verse probably our whole lives if we've been Adventists. What do you think Jesus is doing when he's standing at the door and knocking? He's knocking. He's knocking. And we've heard this our whole lives. Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. What's he doing as he's standing at the door and knocking? He's standing at the door of our hearts. And he's saying, will you listen to the message of your true condition? And heed that message so that I can come in? Jesus is saying, you think you are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. You think you have righteousness by faith. You think you're on the way to heaven. And I'm here to tell you that the way you are right now, you are not. You don't have righteousness. You're naked. You have the experience of Romans 7, which leads you to be on the wrong path. And I'm knocking on the door of your heart, asking of you to buy the true righteousness by faith. To repent so that I can come into your life. Did you realize that Jesus wants to come in and fellowship with us individually through the Holy Spirit? And, you know, we always talk about, yeah, let Jesus come into your heart. Let Jesus come into your heart. But do you know what the condition is to Jesus coming into our hearts? It's to heed the counsel of him as the faithful and true witness, giving the straight testimony 
to us as a people. That's what we need. And note what happens. He says, if any man hear my voice, if you hear the message of your true condition, I will come in to you and will sup with you and you with me. And then verse 21, one of the great verses of Scripture. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. If we heed the counsel of the true witness of Laodicea and we let Jesus come into our lives, we will have the experience of overcoming as he overcame when he walked here on this earth. Did you realize that? Because if Jesus is in our hearts, if Jesus is in our lives, that means he will help us to exercise the same faith that he exercised. Now, do you remember the third angel's message, the very end of it? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Overcoming as Christ overcomes means that we exercise the faith that, we had, that he had, meaning that we have the faith he had, meaning that we have the faith of Jesus, meaning that we have the experience of the third angel's message. And did you realize that Laodicea is prevented from pro- proclaiming the third angel's message with power because we aren't living the third angel's message? The only way Jesus will come into our hearts So that we can exercise his faith is to repent and heed the counsel that we really don't have righteousness even though we thought that we had it. We can overcome even as he overcame and will sit down with his father on the throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Are you hearing the Spirit today? Is the Spirit speaking to your heart? As you've heard this presentation from the Bible, as the Bible has been open, showing the condition of us as a people, has the Lord spoke to your heart? Last night you realized, I want to be among the people that proclaim the third angel's message so that Jesus can come, and I want to have the experience that is even more powerful than the Millerites. Well, here's what's holding it up today. We've seen today... We are the Laodicean people. And we are saying now, Lord, help me. Help me to heed the counsel of the faithful and true witness. You know, the Laodicean church, as I said earlier, is a judged people living in the judgment hour. And as I close, I point you to the book of Daniel to understand how to live in the judgment hour. Did you know that the word Daniel means God is my judge? And if you study the stories in the first six chapters, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego give us a living demonstration of how to live in the judgment hour. How did Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live? They were tested in several key areas. The first one was in Daniel chapter 1. Would they eat the king's wine and eat the portion of the meat from his table? Chapter 3, would they bow down to the image? Chapter 6, you can only worship the king. And Daniel said, no, I'm going to keep worshiping God the way I always have. Now, you know what many Christians would say today? 
in each of those three stories, what's the big deal? I'm covered with the righteousness of Christ. I mean, I'm saved by grace alone, so even if I keep sinning, I can just pray to God for forgiveness and he'll forgive me. But yet, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, living as illustrations of what God's judgment hour church should be living like, said, you know what? Our primary consideration is bringing glory to God's name through living faithful lives. So we will not eat the portion of the king's meat. We will not bow down to that image. And even if God doesn't save us, we're still not going to worship it. And Daniel... He didn't change the way he had worshipped his whole life. When the crisis came, he stayed faithful. And there is a crisis coming. And the people that are going to be ready for the crisis that comes from the Laodicean church will be people that say, I don't care so much even about my own personal salvation as much as I care about bringing glory to God's name or vindicating his name in the hour of God's judgment, which is why the first angel's message says, Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. Laodicea, we need to wake up. We haven't been giving glory to God in the hour of His judgment. We've been saying, it's okay. I'm covered with His righteousness. He'll save me the way I am. Yet God is going to save a group of people who say, I will live my lives in such a way that I'm going to bring glory to His name. How many of you here today want to heed the counsel of the faithful and true witness to the Laodicean church and say, Lord, forgive me, help me to repent and turn away from my life of sin. If you so desire that, I invite you to to stand with me as we have a closing prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the people who are standing. Thank you for how you have loved us so much that you have given us a faithful and true testimony of our condition. Forgive us for being wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Help us to heed your counsel and to receive the true righteousness by faith that comes from allowing you into our hearts so that we have your righteousness within and that shines forth without. Forgive us for being deceived and thinking that we could have a covering alone that saves us. And help us to heed this counsel so that we can be given the latter rain power to give a loud cry message to a lost and dying world just before the coming of the Lord. Give us saving faith. Give us the faith of Jesus. May we be faithful, and as we continue through this weekend, may we be further challenged to be more surrendered to you and ready for your coming. This is my prayer in Jesus' name.